I'm going to, the whole idea behind this is to give you a sense of how philosophy can analyze current events. It's not politics or anything like that, but how philosophy can unpack what's going on in the world. So, yes, good morning, good morning. The MJ of philosophy. <laughs> right here, ladies and gents. Hello, Tim Pool's hairpiece. I wondered where you've been. I wondered where you've been. So, okay, hit me with a why if you don't get enough sleep. Hit me with a Y if you don't get enough sleep. Or maybe a Z. Are you getting enough sleep? Do you, uh, do you refresh yourself? Because, you know, it's like cellular repair. The, the sleep is like one of the most important things that you can do. Now, also tell me why you need 10 hours but you get 8. Yeah, yeah. Now, why don't you get enough sleep? Why don't you get enough sleep? What is it? Is, is it like tablets? Is it screens? Is it uh, the blue light thing? Is it you want to go to bed early, but you can't fall asleep? Uh, is it that you uh, are anxious, uh, depressed, unsatisfied? Like, what is it that has been causing you to not get enough sleep? I try, but I work in the day and do art at night. Oh, that's tough. Baby, yeah, well, that'll do it. Chasing money, working overtime. One, two, three, four, five senses working overtime. I fear for my freedom. Yeah, well, of course, but if you want to um, do battle against the intellectual forces of evil, then you need to be well rested, right? So that's not it. Sleep apnea. Now, is the sleep apnea related to being overweight or not? Screens and staying up too late, scared to let go of, of the stillness of the evening. Sweets after seven and anxiety are usually the culprit. Active mind at night. Brain races with relationship challenges. Oh, well, give me a call in for that. We can help for that. Uh, feels wistfully to sleep. Wasteful to sleep. Most creative at night, keeping me up. Yeah, yeah, if you're a night owl. So there's nothing wrong with being a night owl. I'm sure the evolutionary process kind of went something like this, which is if you are a night owl, it's because you had evolved to keep sleep, to, to keep watch at night, right? And morning people keep watch in the morning. So, you know, we, we needed to keep safe from the predators. So some people evolved to be night owls, to stay up late, and some people evolved to be morning people, to get up early, and that way we were protected overnight. So, night owl and screens. Oh, I thought that was screams. <laughs> yes, night, night owl and screams would definitely do it, so screens. So, listen, here's something that's really powerful and really interesting. Oh, you're a skinny guy with sleep apnea. Oh, that's tough. You know, it's funny, I've known a number of people who've had uh, sinus stuff, like they've had to have sinus operations or constantly dripping sinuses or that kind of stuff, right? I'm good at getting sleep usually, but lately trying to move and there isn't enough hours in the day for this process. Oh yeah, moving is moving is a pain in the ass. That's what we need, teleportation devices or those transporters from Star Trek. We need that stuff uh, desperately. So listen, sleep, sleep is very important. If there's one thing that the, to, to do to get quality of life, that is under your control, a lot of it's under your control, sleep, sleep hygiene, um, trying to go to bed and wake up at, at a regular time, avoiding caffeine after 6 p.m. I read a book many years ago called Say Goodnight to Insomnia. It was actually pretty, pretty good for that kind of stuff. So uh, sleep is, is really, really important. Now here, but this is, this is COVID too. This is COVID too. So, oh, Ed Franz. All right, I think it just came back, so. It's just technology, what can I tell you? Apparently, apparently, you can stream 4K videos over Netflix 
but you just can't keep this stuff running. Are we going? Are we going? Are we back? Let me know if we're back. You're good. All right, back on. Yep, sorry. Didn't touch a thing. Just hiccups, hiccups. I was saying, you know, you can stream a 4K movie, but you can't get 720p uh, across. So we're back. All right. So uh, this is to do with COVID as well. So here is the issue with COVID that prin principles would keep you uh, informed of, right? So the principle with COVID and, and the unvaccinated or the intact, the principle is not specific to COVID. Now they'll try and get everyone specific to COVID, but that's not the way philosophy works. And that's not the way our human brains work either. So here's how the human brain works. Oh, something has happened. I'm going to extract the principle and universalize it. That's just the way it works, right? And, and you know, if you're raised with a bad mom, sometimes you have a fear of women. If you're raised with a bad dad, sometimes you have a fear of, of fathers or whatever it is, or dads or men as a whole. So we take things and we extrapolate it. And there's nothing wrong with that. Animals do it. We do it as well. Uh, I, when I was a kid, I ate a banana that had something weird and rotten at the bottom. And I didn't eat a banana for like a year. And it took me a long time to sort of get back into eating bananas. You know, you eat a berry in the woods and it makes you sick. You don't eat that berry again. You take and you extrapolate and, and you universalize. And that's the way we do things. So what they'll try to get you to do, the bad guys would try to get you to break principle. And then what happens is they'll then use that broken principle to wedge issue other things. So the principle but now with COVID is if you make life choices that consume healthcare resources and or put other people at risk, and those two things are kind of the same. If you make a life choice that consumes healthcare resources and puts other people at risk, then you lose your rights. So uh, please understand, it's not about COVID, right? Because people are arguing about COVID and the vaccine and this, that, and the other. It's good, bad, safe, ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine, zinc, you name it, right? But the philosophy is quite simple. Do, do we want to live in a society where if you make a decision that consumes healthcare resources and or puts other people at risk, and you know what? I'll just say puts other people at risk because uh, the consumption of healthcare resources inevitably puts other people at risk. If you make a choice that puts other people at risk, you lose your rights. Now, that is the society that we're barreling towards. That's not a good society. That's not a free society. That's not a just society. That's not a fair society. But that's where the debate needs to happen. So why am I talking about this with regards to sleep? Okay, so here's a study that just came out today. This is from uh, CNN. Bleh! Sorry, CNN. <laughs> Sorry, we all have our allergies. Anyway, so it says here, right? It says here, recovering from a lack of sleep takes longer than you might think, study says. Yawning and exhausted from another night of little sleep? Congratulations, you have joined the multitude of people around the globe who suffer from sleep deprivation, a serious problem that can affect your mental and physical health. Sleep problems constitute a global epidemic that threatens health and quality of life for up to 45% of the world's population, according to World Sleep Day statistics. But it's easy to recover from that sleep deficit, right? Especially if you're young. Good night's sleep or two. Certainly a full week of sleep and you're back to your fully functioning self. Unfortunately, a recent new study revealed that may not be the case, even for younger people. 13 people in their 20s who slept 30% less than they needed for 10 nights had not fully recovered most of their cognitive processing after seven nights of unrestricted sleep to recover. Right? So it's, it's not a big study, but it's very robust. 
13 people in their 20s who slept 30% less than they needed for 10 nights had still not fully recovered most of their cognitive processing after seven nights, seven nights of unrestricted sleep, which was supposed to help them recover. So um, reaction times improved over seven days and returned to baseline levels, while other cognitive tasks, including accuracy, did not completely recover. What the study showed is that there are things like memory and mental processing speed that will not be restored that quickly. Uh, defi uh, definitely the major parts of sleep loss can be recuperated, but there are things that you're just not going to get back quickly. That's why it's so important not to have that sleep debt in the first place. So th this is a small study. It's like 13 people. But there's other research that has shown that. So a lab-based study, sleep study found that people who were sleeping fewer than six hours a night for two weeks and who thought they were doing just fine functioned as badly on cognitive and reflex tests as people who were deprived of any sleep for two full nights. Two full nights, not just one, long, one full night, but two full nights. That's wild when you think about it, right? That's like, what, 72 hours of being awake. It's just crazy. That's because the brain needs, needs uninterrupted sleep cycles to absorb fresh skills, form key memories, and repair the body from the day's wear and tear. During sleep, your body is literally repairing and restoring itself on a cellular level. Even skipping sleep for just one night disrupts functioning. So a chronic lack of sleep impacts your ability to pay attention, learn new things, be creative, solve problems, and make decisions. But it's even worse than that. Being awake for just 18 hours can impair your ability to drive as badly as if you had a blood alcohol concentration of 0.05%. Skip a full 24 hours of sleep and you'll soon be at 0.10%, uh, well over the U.S. legal driving limit of 0.08%. So if you skip 24 hours of sleep, you are driving drunk. You are driving drunk. And... Um, as far as... Well, we'll get to all of the health issues with regards to sleep. A 2017 study found healthy middle-aged adults who slept badly for just one night produced an abundance of the protein beta amyloid responsible for the plaques characteristic of Alzheimer's. A study published just in June found that older adults who had significant difficulty falling asleep and who experienced frequent night awakenings are at high risk for developing dementia or dying early from any cause. Any cause. So what's your number? What's your mom? What's your number? What's your number? Uh, I, I'm fine with, I'm okay with seven. I'm good with seven and a half. Eight is probably too much and I get kind of headachey. So I'm around a seven and a half guy. Um, so what's your number? Just out of curiosity. What's your number for, for sleep? Someone needs nine hours. Boy, that's, that's a lot. And that's, that's nine hours of sleep or nine hours in bed. Because, you know, all have that, we all have that cheat thing in the morning. Sometimes you wake up a little tired and you're like, can I squeeze in another half an hour just to top myself off? Or am I just going to waste 45 minutes trying to get that half an hour and wake up kind of annoyed? <laughs> I sleep like one of Steph's ducks. Between two and nine, seven to eight roughly, nine, sometimes I get five. No, no, no. What do you need? What do you need? Not what you get. What do you need? I'd like to do 10 plus hours of sleep. You can do seven consistently, roughly six. I work really early, five hours overnight, three hour nap. Oh, that's interesting. Three to seven on weekends, eight plus. Yeah, see, this is saying that's not really good. Ten hours is still normal for a 22-year-old. Is that right? Is that right? 
Um, you're 54 with a four-year-old. Oh, yeah, I'm well, sorry about that. That's rough. You need nine plus? Four to five hours at best, honestly. Yeah, there are certainly some people. Um, I think Scott Adams is one. I think Trump is one. Uh, Bill Clinton was one. They can just get by on a couple of hours sleep. And uh, it's just amazing. I mean, it's pretty wild to be able to do that. And uh, I'm not sure whether that's good or bad. So you need seven minimum. Is that right? Yeah. So it's, um, I couldn't survive with a hyper child. Well, but you sleep. You, you sleep train, right? I mean, you have to because it's good for the, for the good of the kid, right? In the same way that, you know, if, if your kid needs uh, to get a cavity filled, even though it's uncomfortable, you get their cavity filled and you need to sleep train kids. Because if your child is not sleeping, not sleeping, not sleeping, and you don't deal with that when they're an infant, then uh, the studies are very clear that even up to college age, they still have incredible trouble sleeping and it wrecks their whole life. So, yeah. Now, do you sleep through the night? Do you sleep through? I, I mean, I used to sleep through the night. Now I'm in my 50s. I have to get up once to pee usually. Uh, but I usually go back to sleep fine. But uh, And it's not, it's not like I get up to pee. It's not like I get up and I have to pee. It's like I get up and I kind of have to pee. And it's just easy to go back to sleep if I do. Uh, I'm on my phone too much. Makes it hard to sleep, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Also, do you ever have this thing where you go, you're kind of peckish. You're kind of a little hungry. And you roll the dice. I'd rather go to sleep hungry and then wake up and have a, a good meal. Although, what is it, 11 o'clock? I haven't eaten yet today. Uh, but but the problem is if you wake up and you're hungry in the middle of the night, then you've got to get up and eat something and that wakes you up, right? So, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's pretty well. So let me just turn the notifications off here. So, yeah, this is very, very interesting. So give me what? So as far as like genuine sleep disorders, not just not getting enough sleep, genuine sleep disorders. What, how many, how many Americans struggle with genuine sleep disorders? This is like sleep apnea, insomnia, and restless leg syndrome. You're a late night eater? Well, that's how, that's how um, uh, the uh, Japanese wrestlers, the sumo wrestlers gain weight is eating right before bed. So it's probably not the best thing in the world to do. Uh, let's see here. Somebody says, my parents knew I had this issue sleeping, but didn't help me solve it. It's still a problem, problem now. I'm in my late 20s. He's right. Yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't change. It doesn't change. It doesn't change. So between 50 a million and 70, American, 70 million Americans struggle with sleep disorders. Sleep apnea, I mean, it can be bad luck, but I think most of it has to do with uh, obesity. Uh, restless leg syndrome. So I, um, for those who care or don't care, I'll tell you anyway. I um, uh, I grew up uh, with something called lumbago, which is where my bones grew much faster than my tendons, and I had you know really bad leg aches. I used to have to take these monster hot baths and and massage my legs just to because they would just twitch and and ache and and all of that. And so I think I mean I've I've never been able to touch my toes. My tendons are very short, and I'm almost six feet tall, but I think I have the tendons of a guy who's like five seven. You know, you, the real mix and match you get with your genetics, that's just kind of what happens. So as a kid, I had to really learn how to stretch. Now, as an adult, I must do 10 to 15 minutes of leg stretches, which is like hamstrings. Uh, I need to do my calves. I need to do my uh, glutes, my butt muscles, and um, I need to do my quads. Uh, otherwise, I can't sleep because my legs just get restless. So I need to do a lot of stretching before bed, and that's it's nice. It's kind of I can chat with my wife or read or whatever it is, but yeah, so... You ever have this thing too? I haven't had this in a long time. My daughter was talking about it the other day where I used to have this as a kid. When I got my first skateboard as a kid, 
I had dreams. I was just about to fall asleep and I was dreaming I was on my skateboard and then in my sort of half dream, half awake thing, I'd like hit a rock or, and then I'd stumble off my skateboard and wake myself up. You ever have that? So. Sometimes jolt violently before falling asleep. Wow, that's interesting. So, yeah. So, so the CDC calls that, right, this number of, of Americans with sleep disorders, a public health problem because disrupted sleep is associated with Sorry about this, but you got to know this, right? Disrupted sleep is associated with a higher risk of conditions, including high blood pressure, weakened immune performance, weight gain, a lack of libido, mood swings, paranoia, depression, and a higher risk of diabetes, stroke, cardiovascular disease, dementia, and some cancers. Some cancers. I'm going to go through this list again, and it's not to freak you out, but just to remind you that sleep hygiene is one of the most important things you can do for your health. Disrupted sleep is associated with a higher risk of conditions, including high blood pressure, weakened immune performance, weight gain, a lack of libido, mood swings, paranoia, depression, and a higher risk of diabetes, stroke, cardiovascular disease, dementia, and some cancers. So it's, uh, oh, you're grinding your teeth? Yeah. I wear a nightgown. So. so that's a big issue, right? Sleep, lack of sleep is a big issue. So I'll, I'll put this in the show notes and, and we'll you know, we can talk about it a little more, but, but here's the thing, right? So we have a society. So, so I don't know what percentage of sleep issues are to do with genetics. Like you just got bad sinuses or you like the skinny guy with sleep apnea. I don't know what percentage, but I'm going to go out on a limb here and assume that the vast majority of sleep issues are to do with things under your control. The vast majority, I'm going to go with 75, 80%, just my guess. I know that 70% of health issues are based upon your personal choices, right? So sleep, you know, are, are you staring into, you know, uh, some Liam Neeson just makes like frozen trucker movies these days. So are you like full brightness staring into Liam Neeson's haggard mortality visage at the same time as like he's driving through a retina burning snow blind, uh, snow blindness movie scape, right? Well, guess what? You're not going to get very good sleep probably, right? Do, do you wake up, throw wide the windows and stare into the sky to, to blast your brain with wake-up light and juice, right? Uh, are, you, uh, try, are you exercising? Is a lack of exercise. Are, are you unhappy in your life and allowing bad relationships to rob you of sleep? I mean, I remember when I was in some relationships towards the end, you know what happens. You end up with these stupid fights and you can't get any sleep and you, you're like, oh, well, we don't want to go to bed mad and you just end up uh, burning out your life that way, right? So how much of sleep issues are to do with, with choices, right? So we have, this is the COVID tie-in, right? And, and I was looking for something like this. I talked about it with sex addiction and STDs, unwanted pregnancies, and all of these kinds of issues. But I think this one's even more powerful, right? This one's even more powerful. So, you know, if people are talking, well, you know, the unvaccinated are making other people sick, they're putting other people at risk, they're consuming healthcare resources, it's like, right. Sleep deprivation is chronic in American society. Because these, this 50 to 70 million, those are just people with identified sleep disorders, not people who just aren't getting enough sleep. How many car accidents are related to sleep deprivation? Right? How many people injure themselves or others at work if you're working in a dangerous environment? How many people injure themselves or others because of sleep deprivation? How many people get cancers, dementia, high blood pressure, diabetes, uh, whatever it is, because they're just not 
doing what they need to do and getting enough sleep. What's a bigger risk to others and healthcare system as a whole, the unvaccinated or people who just don't go to bed, (laughs) don't go to bed and don't have the discipline to get up at a reasonable hour and who don't get enough sleep? Because remember, we've got a rule now, which is if you do things that put other people at risk or consume healthcare resources, if you make those choices, you lose your rights. You lose your rights. So, you know, clearly, sleep deprivation is vastly, almost infinitely more deadly and dangerous and consumes almost infinitely more healthcare resources than the unvaccinated. So, yeah. People have broken principle. They've been lured into hating the unvaccinated and fearing the unvaccinated. And if you look at something like sleep issues, much worse for society than even if we take the worst scenario that, I don't know, 100 ICU beds were taken up by unvaccinated people who got sick from COVID. Okay. Part of why they got sick from COVID would have something to do with Also, earlier life choices, such as eating too much, not exercising enough, obesity. Now, again, I have a lot of sympathy for people. You know, if if your parents raise you uh, on bad food and no exercise and you have that problem to begin with, that's tough. Don't get, I'm not going to downplay it, right? But, you know, I mean, what was it about? Uh, I don't know. I think it was about 12 or 13 years ago, I dropped like 30 pounds and I being able to keep it off and I'm still I'm still actually way less now than I did when I was 18 and I was on the swim team and the water polo team and the cross country team and everything right so you can lose the weight and keep it off you just got to change everything and never go back you just have to change everything and never go back so you have to increase your exercise and keep it up and you have to just drop all the crap food and maybe have it once in a while as a treat we had a um uh, a lot of people in stressful shift jobs can't avoid sleep problems well, sure. But then what you want to do, of course, is it's still a result of a choice. What you want to do is is increase your job skills and up your value so that you don't have to do shift work, which destroys your health and life. Right. So that's right. Sorry. I'm afraid that's just not the way. Um, what about all the Americans that can't even fathom parking in the back of a parking lot and walking? They'd rather drive in circles. Yeah, that is kind of true. Right. That is kind of true. I noticed this the other day. I went on a a two-hour hike with my family and then we wanted to get some frozen yogurt. And I was like, well, I got to park close to the frozen yogurt places. Like, dude, you just walked and climbed hills for two hours. Like, what are you doing, right? It's kind of funny, right? So, yeah, you you could easily test people for lacking the hormones or having too much of whatever it is, this this hormone or whatever it was. So you could easily test people's lack of sleep. And... um, Oh, yeah, the doctor's thing. Don't even get me started on the doctor's thing. Oh, my God. Talk about the most insane system that you could possibly think of, which is keeping doctors up for 24, 48 hours or more when they are going through their internship, right? Keeping doctors up, having them maybe catch a nap at the hospital, crank themselves up with endless amounts of caffeine who are making life and death death decisions, right? I mean... Truckers can't drive for more than seven hours without having to take a rest, or I don't know what, what it is, something like that, right? But the idea that this has always been something that's completely insane to me. I have no idea why, why it ever happened, how it ever came to be, other than it's socialized medicine for the most part, and they want doctors to work for free. But when you're an inexperienced doctor, you can be making life or death decisions with people on no sleep for 60 hours. Like, I mean, it's completely mad. It's completely insane. 
yeah, my husband works 12 hours a day and he's so deprived. So he just, so he can spend time with the kids. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. So many people refuse to get help for snoring. Yeah, I've never been a snorer, but yeah, get help for snoring. <laughs> it seems kind of important. I mean, quality of life is really, really important. My trucker friend manipulates his drive log daily. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. And snoring, of course, doesn't just affect your quality of sleep, but the quality of sleep of the person you're with, right? Uh, I don't. I don't know. I don't know how it ever came about, or how it even remains remotely legal or possible for you to get life or death medical feedback and diagnoses and and whatever it is from a doctor who's relatively inexperienced and hasn't slept for two or three days. Like I have no idea how that is the case. I have, I have no. Like to me, like you, you, you couldn't design a system that would be more dangerous for people as a whole. A lot of couples would rather sleep in different rooms than get help snoring. I like sleeping in the same bed. I think it's a weighted blanket can also be really good. Also be really good. I, I have one and uh, I like it quite a bit. You know, get a quality mattress, get a good quality pillow, get a weighted blanket, and uh, you're probably you're probably good to go. And uh, that will be that will be helpful. So yeah, here's the thing, right? When it comes to free domain bedtime stories, when well, it's funny because. Um, a friend of mine's daughter has some trouble sleeping and I sent her that there's podcasts like of meandering boring stories so that will help you fall asleep so my favorite advice is to drift back to sleep in the morning while listen to sticks hex and hammer well it's funny you know because you want you want the the even volume podcasters if you're going to listen at night Scott Adams uh very even right sticks very very even me I can get a little loud at times so probably not that helpful um Kevin Samuels will occasionally bellow at women it didn't happen by accident, you know, if they claim, oh, I just got pregnant or it just happened. It didn't just happen. And then it can really startle you. So, yeah, you got to watch out that, right? I sleep on a bamboo mattress. It's like a yoga mat made from bamboo. I like it firm. I won't make the obvious uh, jokes. I paid $20 for a used mattress when I was saving for a house. Needed lots of vinegar to get the tobacco smells out. Yeah, I don't know about that. I mean, it seems to me that Investing in a good mattress and a good bed and a good pillow and a weighted blanket, it's not cheap, but the quality of life and, and doing better at your job because you're alert just seems kind of important, right? Meditation helps a lot if you want to sleep instantly. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I just wanted to sort of point that out, uh, that uh, that's kind of important. And we can stay on the sleep topic if you want. It's your show, of course, but uh, I was going to drop into a couple of, couple of other things. So uh, here's another study. Now, this one came out February of 2021. So exhaled aerosol, right? That's, I assume that's the stuff that, that COVID floats on, right? Exhaled aerosol increases with COVID-19 infection, age, and obesity. And obesity. So... Super, this, 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 the significant super-spreading events have distinguished the COVID-19 pandemic from the early outbreak of the disease. Our studies of exhaled aerosol suggest that a critical factor in these and other transmission events is the propensity of certain individuals to exhale large numbers of small respiratory droplets. I think it's uh, air-floating throat gum. Our findings indicate that the capacity of airway lining mucus to resist breakup on breathing varies significantly between individuals with the trend to increasing with the advance of COVID-19 infection and body mass index multiplied by age. 
So that's kind of important, right? Understanding the source and variants of respiratory droplet generation and controlling it via the stabilization of airway lining mucous surfaces may lead to effective approaches in reducing COVID-19 infection and transmission. So, yeah, they found, of course, you know, level of infection uh, matters. Uh, but um, obesity. I can't do anything about getting older other than throw yourself off a bridge. But when it comes to super spreader events, the obese are uh, exhaling significantly more aerosols, right? Uh, they're spreading, the super spreaders in a way, right? So if, if the media, right, unfortunately, right, so when, when you, you get a tipping point, I talked about this the other day, so you're like, you get a tipping point in life and in society when a group gets large enough, they become an economic source of revenue for a lot of people in the market and then those people will not want those to go away. There's a huge amount of Western economies, in particular the American economy, that caters to the obese. Uh, you got you can give me give me all your thoughts, right? I'm sure there's a million that I haven't thought of, right? But you know, there, there, there's clothing lines, of course, uh, that have to cater to the obese. There's restaurants that you know seem to kind of market to the obese and have larger portions uh, and so on. There are a whole bunch of people who make uh, walkers and, and canes and, and lifts and, and everything to do with dealing with obesity, right? And, and so there are people, um, entire medical establishments and, and significant sectors of the medical economy are dealing with obesity, right? So that is really wild when you think about just how much of the economy is based on catering to the obese. And also, when you get enough people who are obese, or whatever it is, but you get enough people who are obese, what do the obese people do? Well, they, they like to sit, right? Sitting is about as bad for you as smoking as is loneliness. So obese people like to sit, he says, sitting on a couch doing his little live stream. But I stand for, I've stood for most of my shows over the last 16 years. So obese people like to sit. Now, when they like to sit, what do they like to do? They like to watch TV. They like to watch movies. They like to scroll through their tablet. They like to want the, the sitting activities, right? And so the media needs you sitting, right? That there's no media thing that I know of other than maybe music uh, when you're running or walking. But the media, anything that requires you to look at it, right? Whether it's tablets or movies or what, screens, right? Screens require you to be sitting. And so given that sitting is associated with obesity, screens never ever want to upset the obese. Like the media, people who present stuff through the screens never ever want to upset the obese because if they upset the obese, the obese will turn them off and go some other place where they say, oh, the BMI is not that big a deal. And you know, obesity is, is you know, we won't talk about that as, as far as that being a choice. What does obesity do? Obesity uh, consumes healthcare resources, therefore putting other people at significant risk and death, right? Obesity kills. It doesn't just kill yourself. Obesity kills other people because you're in there having your heart surgery and somebody else comes in and can't get the emergency care that they need because the doctors are consumed with dealing with obesity and they die on the floor of the um, ER, right? Obesity kills. Obesity kills. And plus, of course, obese people are much more prone to having heart attacks and, and strokes and so on. And so they're driving and they're driving along and they have a heart attack or a stroke and they plow into oncoming traffic and kill 10 people, right? 
It happens more often than I think you would imagine. So, obesity is just another one of these choices that puts other people at risk and gets people killed, right? And again, we've, all, we've said, if you make choices that hurt other people or consume medical resources, then you lose your rights. So, I mean, I don't think, I don't think people understand exactly what's, what's happening here. That, that you know, we, we get you to dislike these people and then you'll just be those people. Right, so the, you'll get people. I mean, it is of course completely ridiculous. Uh, some guy who's three hundred pounds saying, "Oh, there's someone unvaccinated on my street. He's putting my health at risk." It's like, I don't even know what to say. But you're never going to get that from the media, because the media loves obese people who watch the media more than anybody else, and they'd never want to offend them or upset them. Because if the goal was to help control the spread of COVID, then you would look at particular demographics, whatever they are. You'd look at particular demographics say, uh, ethnicities or races or genders, and you'd say, okay, who has the most COVID? Okay, so you'd look at that and you'd say, okay, well, you might want to keep an extra distance from people who statistically are more likely to have COVID. And if you were to look at the obese people and say, well, they're more likely to spread it if they have it. So you would want to stay from away from whatever ethnicities or races would have more COVID. You'd want to stay away from people who are obese because they'd be much more likely to spread it. And that's what you would do. But of course... Nobody says anything like that. Of course not, right? Because it's not about controlling COVID, right? Obese people are expert consumers. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, exercise helps with depression. Part of that means less consumption. Oh, yeah, so people who are down and depressed will go and buy stuff to feel better uh, a lot of times, right? It is, uh, what do they call it? Retail therapy, right? Actually, there's a term for this among women called retail therapy. So... I have a cousin that is at least 400 pounds that is in the hospital right now and isn't doing great. See, I mean, here's the funny thing, right? And it's not funny, funny, but it's strange, right? So in the past, of course, why did we not get fat? We didn't get fat for two reasons. One, we needed more calories, uh, which when calories were scarce was bad. And number two, if we got fat, we couldn't escape predators and we couldn't hunt. So we couldn't get food and we'd be food. So obesity used to be taken down by predators, but because we have gotten rid of all predators in our society, um, well... We all know what happens to species when there's no predation. And the predation is voluntarism as well. So, One of the reasons, of course, while, um, one of the reasons why uh, obesity, particularly among women, and, and it's funny because, you know, I think the highest, the most obese population, I think, is black women in America. And they say, oh, it's because of poverty and so on. But you go back a couple of generations and you look at the black women from like the 1910s, 1920s, 1930s, most of them were very slender, right? So women generally... We all know this inverse proportion, right? The fatter the woman is, the, the less wealthy a man she can get, right? So slenderness uh, means that you have access to higher quality men if you're obese, right? And I remember Tom Likas used to do this on his show many years ago when he had his radio show. I think it was out in California. You know, he, he, some guy would call in and say, oh, yeah, my girlfriend's overweight and whatever. And he'd say, okay, how much do you make? And it, make? And it was like $15,000 a year, $20,000 a year. So he's like, yeah, okay, so you can, you can only afford a fat girlfriend because you don't make any money. And so women, of course, used to remain slender because they needed to keep their man happy and keep the resources flowing for their kids and for themselves so they couldn't really afford to gain weight, which is why you have these wasp waist Barbara Billingsley characters from old movies and so on where the waist is very narrow because that's how you, uh, you keep your man. Now, of course, women don't need to keep a man because they can get all their money from the government so they can just let themselves, they can just pull the pin on the fat grenade, right? So, 
Well, 15K a year, but that's this is like 20 years ago, so it wasn't quite so bad, right? So, yeah, we're not, we're not hearing about that kind of stuff. All right, let's do one or two more. This is sort of just philosophy of the news. Yeah. What they do is they get you to hate a particular group, and then you imagine you'll be on the side of those who get to hate and never on the side of those who are hated, and then they just switch the rules. It's like free speech, you know? Oh, well, this terrible guy, Andrew Anglin, was the first cancel culture guy. Andrew Anglin's this terrible guy. You can hate him. You can cancel him. Don't worry. You'll never be in that group. And now everyone's in that group who isn't on the left, right? So let's see here. Yeah, go around the outside of the grocery store. Don't eat from the middle, right? Anything that comes in a box or a package, probably not going to be very, uh, very good for you. All right, let's do one or two more. How do you guys like these shows, by the way? Yeah, it's a little different, right? A little, little different. But... Um, what do we got here? Oh, yes. A generation of American men give up on college. Um, Where's this from? Wall Street Journal, I think. Men are abandoning higher education in such numbers that they now trail female college students by record levels. At the close of the 2021 academic year, women made up 59.5% of college students an all-time high, and men 40.5%. <laughs> As if it's that binary, right? Um... So that's really, really interesting. So U.S. colleges and universities had 1.5 million fewer students compared with five years ago, and men accounted for 71% of the decline. The education, this education gap, so it's kind of funny, right? So they simply assume that education and college are the same thing, when they're in fact opposites these days. This education gap, which holds at both two- and four-year colleges, has been slowly widening for 40 years. That divergence increase at graduation. Uh, the, the divergence increases at graduation. After six years of college, 65% of women in the U.S. who started a four-year university received diplomas, compared with only 59% of men, same period, blah, 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 right? In the next few years, two women will earn a college degree for every man. If the trend continues, no reversal is in sight, blah, 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 blah. So, um, and here's funny, right? American colleges, which are embroiled in debates over racial and gender equality and working on ways to reduce sexual assault and harassment of women on campus, have yet to reach a consensus on what might slow the retreat of men from higher education. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> That's pretty funny. Oh, my God. <laughs> I mean, that does. They don't make any connection. They simply can't make any connection. They're too ideologically hidebound to make any of these connections. But I just think that's hilarious, right? So, gosh, why are men not going to colleges? I mean, colleges are embroiled in debates over racial and gender equality. And they're trying to figure out how to stop men from serially assaulting and harassing women. I don't know why men aren't going to college. I mean, what, what does a man want to do other than be yelled at for being a cisgender, white male, privileged dude. Like, who would want to pay? That, that's, that's like paying for somebody to verbally abuse you and, and destroy your self-esteem and, and any happiness or potential pride in your culture or history or whoever, right? I mean, so they, they, of course they say, well, it's a disaster because men aren't getting educated because they're not being in college when they openly identify colleges as being hotbeds of radical Marxist egalitarian fetishism. Which, which results in struggle sessions, verbal abuse, and if you don't go along with what the professor demands you go along with, you'll fail. So you either go and get humiliated and fail and waste time and money and energy and effort and get bitter and broke, or you, you parrot the social justice warrior brain-emptying narrative of hell 
and struggle your way through, but you've given up your independence, free thought, and, and reason in the process. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's pretty bad, right? And what's interesting about this is that it's terrible for women. See, when women want equality of outcomes, they won't get equality of outcomes. It's, it's impossible. You, you, you cannot achieve it. For women, equality of outcomes means anxiety, depression, and, and a horrible life. Right? So let's say, snap your fingers, and women are as educated as men, and women are as tall as men, and women make as much money as men. Okay? So women are perfectly equal to men then women are toast. Women will be absolutely, completely, and totally miserable. Why? Because of hypergamy. <sighs> I don't have to explain to you, but it feels a bit worrisome to explain to the world the most obvious stuff on the known, uh, on the planet, right? So a woman who's got a bachelor's degree will not date a guy who's got high school education. She won't even be that interested in a guy who's also got a bachelor's degree. She'll want to date a guy who's got a master's degree. A woman with a master's degree is going to want a guy at least with a master's and most likely with a PhD. A woman who's six foot tall is going to want a guy who's six foot four. A woman who makes $50,000 a year is going to want a guy who makes $100,000 a year. So the higher that women rise in terms of equality of outcome, the smaller and smaller the percentage of men they will even consider for dating and marriage. For a woman to gain success in the material form is to lose success in what's most important to all of us, and particularly to women, which is love and family and marriage and children and all that kind of stuff, right? So, I don't... I mean, it's just, why, 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 why is no one talking about this? If we had a pill that made women the same height as men, then 80 to 90% of men would be undateable for women. Oh, good, now I'm tall. I don't need a man to help me get things from the top shelf. I'm as tall as men. And that means that 80 to 90% of women will be miserable in their dating lives. I, I mean, it, <laughs> so for women to say, oh, well, on average, we make less than men. That's from a dating standpoint and a marriage standpoint, that's good. Because then women have more men who make more money than them to choose from. But if women end up making more money than men on average or end up making the same amount of money as men on average, then women who have no concept of settling these days, which is why 80% of men are considered, are ranked by women as below average in attractiveness. Women have no concept of, of you don't settle, girl, what's wrong with being confident? Don't settle, you know, aim for the top. Everyone's got to be uh, six foot four, you know, her astute uh, millionaire uh, who's handsome. It's like, well, you're talking about 0.0001% of the population. Now, because so many women are chasing so few guys, and this is the case on college campuses now, too. So on college campuses now that you have, you know, it's getting up there to be like two-thirds women and one-third men. So that simply means that the men have their pickings, right? It means because women are outnumbering the men, that the men can be, you know, Joe Studley Muffin without being a six-pack, right? 
without having a six pack. So it means that you have more and more women chasing fewer and fewer men. Now what that means, of course, is that men revert to our selected date them and drop them, wham, bam, thank you, ma'am, in and out and then out, ghosting and all that kind of stuff, right? So because more and more women are chasing fewer and fewer men, the women then are tortured by the very fact that if they don't offer up sex, which they know the next woman most likely will, if they don't offer up sex very early on, then the man will simply go to some other woman who will offer sex. I understand none of this is even remotely complicated. There's stuff that's complicated in, in what I do philosophically. This is not one of them, right? This is, this is all blindingly obvious stuff. So the reason that the tipping point has occurred is that as there are more and more women in, on campuses, the men have more and more options, which means the women have to offer up more and more sex in order to even get the man's attention. But of course, because the man can get more and more sex and men are programmed for variety, then the men will simply have sex with women and then ghost them because some other woman will come along and uh, will offer them sex and they'll be like, hey, I haven't had a redhead or I haven't had this or I haven't had that and I'll give it a shot and it'll be fun. It's new, it's variety, it's whatever, right? Plus, of course, men are raised on this steady diet of pornography these days, which means that they have zero ability to understand the role and function of sexuality and human behavior and, and human life. But anyway, so what happens is more and more women chasing fewer and fewer men, which means that women have to offer up sex, which means that women are going to get dumped, which means women are going to get hurt and angry and bitter, and they're going to start putting more and more sex charges of sexual assault, of date rape, of rape on the men, and that's going to drive more and more men away from college, which means that they have to offer up more sex to the fewer men who remain, which means there'll be more accusations of date rape and rape and assault. And uh, all right, you understand, it's just, I don't know. It's like everyone's addicted to these... Like complete death spirals. It's like nobody, nobody talks about it. Nobody, uh, nobody talks about it. How can a man put up with a relationship where women doesn't want to have sex but be with him after birth? Sorry, I don't know what that. Uh, I don't know what that makes. So yeah, of course women are. And and when when women and and affirmative action it just lowers the IQ of people in college and men have recognized that. So men are saying, okay, well I'll get my value elsewhere. And and men are also beginning to say, as some women are as well. I don't want to work for someone who's so dumb and can't assess anyone to the point where if you don't have the rubber stamp for your degree, I'm not going to hire you. It's like, I don't want it. Okay, last one I guess we'll talk about here. What are we doing here for time? Yeah, right. Uh, so, ask Ellie. Simp face. She's got... All right. My husband of 15 years has become a grumpy negative man who refuses to see a therapist. All right. You tell me what you guys think of this as I read it. What are the, cl what are the signs? What are the clues here? People can... Never, ever avoid giving you the clues. They can't ever avoid giving you the clues. My husband of 15 years has become very negative. When we dated, he was sometimes moody, but I could lift him out of it. Now he sees and reacts to everything as a burden or a put down. When a couple we'd been friends with purchased a new home, he declared them materialistic and didn't want to get together with them. The new place isn't large or showy, but they're now off limits. I still see the wife, but my husband just gets annoyed about it. That's just one small example. He's distanced from a couple of his old friends, argues with one of his siblings, and finds fault too often with her sons, ages 12 and 14. His own childhood has been harsh. His, his father left the family, didn't keep up regular visits with his children, badmouthed their mother, causing her to be unhappy throughout their growing up. I don't know how to handle his bleak attitude towards everything. He should have gone for therapy at least like 10 years ago, but always balked when I suggested it. I'm a very positive person... I work throughout our marriage to be an equal financial partner and I'm closely involved with the children's schooling and activities. If my husband could appreciate all that we've achieved over the years, he'd 
He'd see how positive our marriage, family, and many of our friendships could be, but he's unwilling to leave behind his negative views. Any suggestions would be appreciated. So, yeah. Any, uh, any clues? She's perfect, and he has all the flus. Narcissistic and judgmental. Glad this isn't Stefan's usual voice. Oh, you want to hear me do voices, man? Freedomain.com forward slash almost, my, my novel. Uh, you'll get voices. Voices and a half. Does she sound like that? In my mind, and I think in his mind, her husband's mind, he does, right? Uh, any, any clues? And What are the clues here? What are the clues? Uh, this, like, nasal voice valley girl. Everton <laughs> from hell. Uh, what are the clues? Okay, I'll throw a couple out here. Um, well, he's just become... So, my husband, who's been exposed to me for 15 years, has become negative. I've had nothing to do with it. Nothing to do with it at all. My husband of 50... He just, he's just become negative. Now, who's been his biggest influence over the last 15 years? Well, she has. She has been his biggest influence over the last 15 years. So, right? He was sometimes moody, but I could lift him out of it. So lift him out of it means not find out the root cause of his moodiness, but kind of charm or have sex with him or make him some food and just kind of lift him out of it without dealing with the root cause of the problems, right? So wife's looking for an excuse to have an affair and leave. Maybe, maybe. Now he sees and reacts to everything as a burden or a put-down. So yeah, she didn't deal with any of his root issues. So what she did was she said, well, he's got to go to therapy. So a therapist can actually love him and care for him. I don't want to do that. I don't, I'll just, I'll try and lift him out of his negativity. I'll try and giggle him or laugh him or sex him out of his negativity. But there's no way I'm going to his actual root causes, even though I know exactly what they are. So I, I tried to pawn him off on a therapist because I don't care about him enough to listen to his root issues. So, all right. All right, so a couple purchased a new home. He declared the materialistic and didn't want to get together with them. The new place isn't large or showy, but now they're off limits. Okay, so he has an issue with the friends who bought a house, and she doesn't care. She ignores his perspective. She just dismisses him and goes to see the wife anyway, right? He's distanced from a couple of his old friends, argues with one of his siblings, and finds fault too often with our sons, aged 12 and 14. Okay, so the sons are entering puberty, which means that any absent parenting that occurred in the past is now going to be blowing back on the parents, right? It's really, really important. When the, when the sons in particular, both, both males and females, but when the sons in particular enter puberty, then any neglect that occurred in their parenting will blow back because the kids are going to bond with their peer group and resist and dislike the parents, right? So she says further down, she says... Um, I've worked throughout our marriage to be an equal financial partner. So what does that mean? What does that mean? Well, we know what that means. It means that she worked and put her kids in daycare, right? She worked and she put her kids in daycare. And uh, as a result... Sorry, I don't know where the heck the online is. But it's, uh, can't find it. Oh, it's probably somewhere further down. Sorry, let's get a little light on the subject here. There we go. So... Yeah, she, she worked and she put her kids in daycare. She put her kids, uh, her babies in daycare, her toddlers in daycare, her kids in daycare because she was out there working, which means the kids have grown up neglectful, which are uh, being neglected, uh, which means that they bonded with peers, not their parents. They don't have respect for their parents. And now they're starting to act out because both the boys are going through puberty. And so he's trying to find some way to rein in wayward and wanton boys who are acting out and being totally pressured by their peer group into bad behavior because they're unbonded with their parents. So that's one thing. The other thing too, I don't know, lady, 
Has the world perhaps changed a smidge over the last 15 years? Just a little bit. You know, demographically, in terms of political freedoms, liberties, free speech, there's COVID. Like, have things changed at all over the last 15 years? Well, probably not for her, because most women can't see beyond the womb of their own families, their own homes. It's like, well, we're doing fine. We can pay our bills. Everything's fine. But of course, men, what do we do? We scan the horizon. We look for oncoming dangers. We look for trends. We look for patterns. We look for the tsunami that's a black line that's going to wash out on the horizon. It's going to wash out the whole village. Men look a little bit further than beyond their own fucking navels, and we actually look out in the world and try and solve problems that are coming. But of course, we're prevented from solving those problems because of the state. So yeah, I just wanted to uh, point that out. So that's going on as well. Oh yeah, his own childhood had been harsh. His father left the family, didn't keep up regular visits with his children. Huh. So she worked throughout the, 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 the kids' lives and then the father, it's really bad if he doesn't keep up regular visits with his children. And he, oh, oh, you see, you see one of the reasons that his family was so bad. One of the reasons that my husband's family was so bad, she says, is because, don't you know, his father badmouthed the spouse. And that it was really traumatic. It was really bad. It was really bad for my, my husband that his father badmouthed his spouse, causing her to be unhappy throughout their growing up. She had no choice in the matter. And no agency, right? So she chose this guy. She gave him the greatest gift a woman can give a man, which is children. She's been married to him for 15 years. And now she's like, well, he... he He's just, there's something wrong with him. He just needs to get fixed. It's like, well, you chose him. You gave him children. You did this. You, you've been his biggest influence for 15 years. You refused to deal with and listen to his childhood, trying to pawn him off on a therapist. You know, when somebody who loves you says, go to a therapist, they're saying, I don't love you enough. Now, I've got nothing wrong with therapy. If you want to go to a therapist, I went to a therapist. It's totally fine. But if somebody who loves you says, go to a therapist, they're saying, I don't want to help you deal with your issues. Now, maybe they have tried to deal with your issues and they can't, whatever. Maybe it's some big serious thing, but in general, right? In general, right? So, you see, it's really, really bad to badmouth your spouse. Because when you badmouth your spouse, it causes your spouse to be unhappy. And here this this woman completely badmouthing her spouse, in public, no less. Now, again, she's not identified or whatever, right? But she clearly and openly says, clearly and openly says, if you badmouth your spouse, it makes them unhappy. And then she's like, I don't know why my husband, who I completely badmouth, is unhappy. Like, she's got the answer right there. Do you see, see what I mean? Like... There is no, nobody can hide anything. Nobody can, everyone thinks they're being so cunning and clever and she's just making this story about how he's so bad and she's such a victim. And, but you understand, no one can hide anything. You can't hide any of these things. None of it. None of it. So, yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty wild. I'm a very positive person. So she defines herself as a positive person. Um, and, and she says that because she can't say that she has anything to do with her husband's unhappiness, even though she's completely correctly ideated. She's com- sorry. She's completely correctly ID'd the issue with her husband's family, which is the spouse badmouth the other spouse, making the other spouse unhappy. She's completely admitted that. She knows exactly what it is, and you know, he's just got to be appreciative. He's just got to be. Ha- I'm a positive person, so there can't be anything wrong with me. It's got to all be my husband. And uh, yeah, it's it's pretty brutal. You can do lots of things with this letter, but I just kind of wanted to uh, to mention that. Um, please, please, please do not get involved with people who don't take ownership for problems in their lives. Oh my God, are you ever going to have to carry a burden that will grind you down to nothing? Grind you down to nothing. Grind you down to nothing. So, yeah, none of this is her fault. Yeah, I mean, she she tried to cheer him up, but you know, he's just getting more and more negative and, and there's nothing she can do. Even though she's a very positive and chipper person, 
And, um, you know, his, his only real problem is that there was the bad mouthing of the spouse in his family of origin. So let me bad mouth him to himself and now in public and then wonder why he's not happy. And look, women, ladies, do you know how when I was growing up, and, and this is still the case now, they say the problem with men is that they're not emotionally available. They just, they just they don't share their feelings. They're not emotionally available. And so men were nagged in general or encouraged or whatever to be emotionally available, share our feelings and so on. So ladies, we would like you to be intellectually available if you could. Please, please, we've worked very hard to be emotionally available and I think that's been helpful to, to, to men to some degree. But if women, you know, if you all could just be intellectually available, like in other words, look at larger things in the world, look at uh, demographics, look at growth of state power, look at national debts, just be intellectually available. And that way we can sort of meet in the middle. We'll share our emotions and you can share your intellect. And, and we, we'll meet in the middle and we'll get the best of both worlds. That's sort of the idea. So, all right. Thanks everyone for dropping by freedomain.com forward slash donate to help out the show. Please don't forget to check out almostnovel.com, almostnovel.com. It's totally free. And you can, the ebook is now available if you want to read it. And we're actually working on getting the, um, uh, to get a print version of it if you want to hold it in your hands. It's an absolutely fantastic and wonderful and great novel. It's free. I'm a trained actor. It's long. It's detailed. You'll love these characters. They will be like real people to you as they were for me. And I hope that you will check it out. That's almostnovel.com. So, yeah. Thanks, everyone. Lots of love from up here. I hope you guys have... A, a wonderful afternoon. I will see you tomorrow night uh, for the live stream and uh, take care. Thanks for dropping by.